This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. I am Corinne. And I am Sabrina. Your ghostesses. How are you feeling? I know you were sick this week. Oh, I'm better today. I have been on a lot of cold medicine. So today's going to be fun. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, don't take anything I say seriously. I'm kidding. No, listen to me. I have important things to say. (laughs) I'm, I'm feeling better today. Um, that's good but can we talk about how yesterday I was laying in bed and my bed started to shake violently like I've never felt something like this before and I vocalize out to the world I'm like stop it stop it right now leave me alone then I text you Corinne and I'm like weird shit is happening in my room I swear I'm experiencing that thing that you said that you experienced with your bed shaking it felt like there was something under my bed shaking it which is how it felt. <laughs> and two seconds later, our group chat with all of our girlfriends from college, they're all like, oh my God, did everyone feel that earthquake? You had already tweeted about it and everything. <laughs> and I was dying. It was so funny because I'm I'm like all hopped up in cold medicine. And I was like, maybe that makes me more susceptible to spirits and demons. And then... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that that happened to you. My coworker Charlie, who <laughs> listens to our podcast, he comes out of his his office and goes, "Corinne, is Sabrina okay?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." And then I ran to my phone and looked, and you were like, "I'm possessed," like blah, 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 saying all this stuff. And then you didn't even tell me that it was an earthquake. No, I just texted you back, "LOL" in all caps because I was so. Right. <laughs> and then I looked on Twitter, and you had said that it there was an earthquake. Yeah, it was a really funny five minutes of my life because I was I went from terrified to embarrassed to just laughing at myself (laughs) no but well it was debunked you know you can't always believe everything but yeah I'm sure on cough medicine you're like oh it's finally (laughs) happening and and I like really didn't it it really only felt like my mattress was moving so it didn't feel like I didn't hear anything else shake or rattle Mm. so you know it felt very contained to, to me targeted at me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of scary but it at least scary. it was the middle of the day and it was light out it was morning wasn't it uh yeah or like or the afternoon. afternoon yeah i was in bed all day yesterday oh, that's what i'm about to be i keep touching my armpit i have uh, i have stitches for the first <gasps> time ever in my life oh no because they took a chunk out of me at the doctor's Ouch. this is my i survived episode <laughs> i went to the doctor i cried a lot they put an ice pack on me they laid me down and i did not faint <laughs> success we're falling apart over here <laughs> we are <laughs> our bodies are giving up on us <laughs> seriously wait oh my gosh who was it we have to give credit i don't have my phone on me fuck what who someone had a really funny theory on facebook Oh, that we are both possessed, or that we're both ghosts? Greetings, pretty. Oh my god, shut up! Tierra tu boca. Okay, here it is. Sebastian wrote, I don't know why I thought of this today, but what if in a weird Sixth Sense style twist, it turns out Sabrina and Corinne have been ghosts this entire time? <laughs> and then Justin wrote, We find out they both have been dead since the 90s, and Sabrina's cat is the only one alive. <laughs> I was like, yes! I love it. <laughs> I'm into it. How do we know if we're dead or alive? How do we know if this is a simulation? Or if maybe <sighs> we're just these little pets living in a little terrarium and these monsters, these giants are looking out 
onto us observing us. Man, I used to think this all the time. I remember as a little kid, I used to swear that my life wasn't real and that it was made up by like, like as if people were playing Barbies with us, the way that I used to create stories for my Barbies. Yes. I'm almost done with Atlanta Monster. I just started it. Okay, I'm only a few episodes in. Now that I don't go in my car as much, I am so behind on podcasts. Oh, that's true. Now that you're on hiatus, you don't have to commute, which is nice. But yeah, I'm like, oh, I just started it because I started it three days ago, but I'm almost done. I think there's only like 10 episodes. Yeah, it's good. Plus a couple bonus. It's good. So someone in my my, um, program had texted me the other day and was like oh you if you haven't already check out these podcasts and atlanta monster was one of them mm-hmm. and then he was about to start up and vanished Ooh. which was the one that was first done by the right. same guy Payne, and we both like up and vanished more i agree there's just a little bit more going on because atlanta monster is such a cool look and it's so fascinating to hear everyone be interviewed and hear about everything that was going on at the time and all the racism and just right. the bad police work and etc. But up and vanish, like you're actually kind of solving the case. Like he's yeah. going out and actually finding more leads and things open right. up and it's thrilling. Yeah. But Atlanta Monster, yeah, I agree with that. And an Atlanta Monster does have it's dealing with a lot more than just the killings that were going on. Mm-hmm. But the case is so interesting and, and fascinating to follow and get really detailed about i'm sure there was so much pressure for pain to to go from producing his first podcast yeah. which solved an oh unsolved God. murder yeah to then having another one that's like sponsored and i think right. he's like on a channel or whatever yeah and it being this like ridiculously difficult and convoluted case yeah very complex but he's doing it he's doing a good job with it he has a good job pain we like what you do we support other podcasters. It's a hard, it's a hard life. Yeah, I never judge people on editing because <laughs> that is all. <laughs> Working with equipment number eight right now today. Oh my gosh, that's insane. I'm so poor. I just don't even have. <laughs> all money. the money goes out to microphones. Oh, I'm living on the edge. Oh, I may not be well fed. Look at me, your neighborhood millennial. Oh, I can't afford this bread. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Round of applause for Corinne. Thank you. That is uh, my song called I Am Poor. <laughs> and it is sung to the tune of Living on a Prayer. I'm very impressed by you. If you're poor, you can um, always make that a career. Yeah, I'm pretty decent at Mad Libs. So. What's his name? Weird Al, who does the, all that music? Oh, stuff? yeah. Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, you can. I saw him on a plane once. Really? Yeah. Kind of hard to miss. Does he still have like that curly oh, yeah. ringlet hair? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was wearing a cool hat, too. That's the only way you'd recognize him, you know? Like, the hair, yeah. If he didn't have his hair, I feel like anyone could pass by him and not know who he yeah. is. You have to distinguish yourself. He's talented. Just like Bob Ross. He permed that. <laughs> You gotta create an image, you guys. What's our image? We don't have one. We're just voices. Okay. Disembodied voices. Spooky voices. Coming through your Siri. What is it? <laughs> Someone commented about how scary all your voices are. I love doing voices. I could do it for a career. You should try. Get into voice acting. Right. You're in the best city to try it. 
That's true. Oh, and then I can go to work in my pajamas. I have to pick like one voice that's really good. I'll play the demon in every <laughs> movie. Do you want the demon? Help me, mom. I'm gonna kill you. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like I'm watching like a fucked up cartoon network. <laughs> uh what's it called? Adult Swim. That's what yeah, yeah. fucked up yeah, cartoon network true. is. I'm in full support of this. Alright. Well now during my hiatus I'm just gonna record little voiceovers and send them to talent agencies. So. Yeah, just blast them out. And they're all gonna be terrifying recordings. Of they're me. gonna be so scared of you. I'm gonna be like, hi, my name is Sabrina Deanna Roga and I'm here to audition for a voiceover role. No hire me or I'll kill you. <coughs> Can't do it while I'm sick. Oh no. Poor me. And we have some things to talk about. We have some dark things to talk about. This is going to be a sequel, a part two of our Dominus episode. Because it's time to get back into the possessions. And exorcisms. And talk about the devil. I love when people are, are like, I'm re-listening to Dominus and it's scaring me. It's like, you did that to yourself, dude. <laughs> it's so scary. It's also because we recorded that one at like midnight. Yeah. Or my time. It, it was, was really, really, really dark. It oh feels like ages ago. Well, we're going to do it again. Yep, here we go. Are here we first? go. I think I'm first. Okay, let's do it. All right, guys. What I'm working with is... The Demon House. Oh, my God. So I watched The Demon House. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. Maybe I'll do that tonight. I watched it by myself last night, hopped up on cold meds. You're crazy. I know. And I was very nervous that I was going to have nightmares. I didn't because I took a lot of sleeping meds. And mm-hmm. I realized, side note, I realized that NyQuil gives me nightmares, but melatonin makes me sleep, like, knocked out. So. Well, that's good. I took Na- melatonin. Yeah. Melatonin is stuff. natural mm-hmm. and already exists in your body, whereas NyQuil right. does not. Right. So melatonin mixed with Advil to go to sleep when you're sick works. Works well. That's good. Um, but I do have to admit, I watched the demon. I watched the movie on my laptop in like small screen <laughs> on my with couch, with only like two notches of the volume yeah. on your computer, <laughs> with all the lights on. Um, I was by myself, so it was scary. Um, yeah. But so the demon house or demon house, the movie is more specifically about the Amons family who are from Indiana, who in 2011 moved into a home in Gary, Indiana. And their home quickly became possessed, and they themselves became possessed. It's quite scary. There were mediums and psychics that claimed that over 200 demons were inside the home that they lived in. Jesus. Yeah. And so the... The documentary that Zach Baggins did, Demon House, covers a lot of information about the history that the Amons family went through living in the home, but it's mostly covering Zach buying the house and being in the house himself. So it's informative, but I won't ruin the movie, so go watch it. Um, and before I go into more details, I wanted to give a shout out to Marisa Kwiatkowski, from Indie Star, because she 
actually had like a deal with the Amons family and had access to all of the documents. I think there were over 800 pages of documents from medical professionals, police officers, and everyone involved with the case. And she had access to all of those and interviewed the family or the mother specifically. And so most of the information that I got is from her article. It all started, like I said, they moved in November of 2011. It was LaToya Ammons, her mother Rosa Campbell, and LaToya's three children, two girl or two boys and one girl. They moved into a rental house and the address is 3860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. They moved in and it seemed normal as you expect when moving into a home. Mm-hmm. And winter came. It became cold. And then one day in December, they walked onto their porch, which is a screened in porch, and there were big black flies everywhere, swarming. What? And I, I had to immediately make... think that there's a body buried underneath. Right, right. So my thing was, was it an omen of foretelling death? Because flies usually flock to mm-hmm. like rotting bodies or flesh, whatever it is. And they feed off that. It's very uncommon for flies to, to swarm like that unless there is something specifically that they would be eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and the family would keep killing the flies over and over, but they would keep returning. They couldn't seem to get rid of them. And things got weirder at nighttime when the family would go to sleep. And after midnight, LaToya and her mother, Rosa, would hear footsteps climbing the basement stairs. They would hear... <laughs> The creak of a door opening and closing and then shuffling throughout the hallway, but no one was there. Can you imagine the first time that they had to go investigate that? Like thinking that there's someone living in their home with them? Right. And they would happen to people before. Yep. Yeah. People do like bury holes into basements and live in there. Um. They would lock the basement door to prevent it from happening, but it would continue regardless. And one night, Rosa, the mother, woke up to a shadowy figure pacing in the living room. And she, like, jumped up, and her instincts, like, jumped in. She was like, I'm going to fight this. So she goes out to investigate, and no one's there except for there are footprints of boots that are, like, muddy on the floor. Holy shit. And so things started to escalate. And on March 10th of 2012, the family had spent the day mourning a loss of a loved one. And then they returned home with a few friends and they all went to bed. And around 2 a.m., every single person in the home was awoken by by shrieking screams. And someone was screaming, Mama, Mama, very loudly on the top of their lungs. And then everyone ran towards the scream and they found LaToya's 12-year-old daughter levitating above the bed. You're kidding me and she was completely unconscious and everyone was in shock they didn't know what to do so they and and a friend was actually staying in the room with her daughter so the daughter was freaking out or the friend was freaking out and everyone gathered around the around the girl and started to pray and all of a sudden the daughter kind of fell back to the bed woke up and had no memory of what had just happened so was it the daughter i'm assuming it was the daughter yelling mama I think so. But she was also unconscious. So I wonder if she yelled it or if the entity, whatever it was, mimicked the sound of her voice to get everyone into the room. Oh, I don't like that. I was thinking that maybe, like, 
it was um, escalation. Like something was like shaking her. Or she felt something overcoming her. And then so she yeah. started yelling mama, mama. And then she went unconscious and started levitating. Could have been the friend too. Oh, yeah. Just like, and I mean, I'm assuming the friend's like 12 years old. You know, they're right. having a sleepover. Yeah. And it's, oh my God. this is also one of those things we talk about where if you're emotionally kind of sad or drained and you have these negative experiences like they just probably were at a funeral for a family member or a friend that they lost so they have all these kind of saddened emotions that i think something evil can take advantage of right and infiltrate her body oh it's so scary okay so everyone gathered around they prayed and she woke up had no memory of what had happened and so the next day they tried to reach out to all the local churches and no one kind of no one really listened to them they're like well, yeah right there there's nothing going on in your home there was one church that said okay well like it sounds like there's some spiritual activity but if you just clean your home with bleach and ammonia and use oil to draw crosses on every door and window you should be okay so they did that and they cle- they cleansed the home and they poured oil on their hands and feet and on the children's hands and feet and drew um the shape of a cross with oil on their foreheads mm-hmm and then they turned to some clairvoyants for more assistance. And two of them came over, and independent of each other, they both said that there were over 200 evil spirits slash demons in the home. My question is, how do you know? I because don't know. to count 200 would be very difficult. Right. So does something else tell you? Or do you get a feeling? Right. Is a number placed in your mind? I want to know how people know. Yeah. Clairvoyance, hit us up, let us know. Yeah. But either way, the both of them told the family the best thing that they could do was to move out. But as mm-hmm. we've also discussed on the podcast before, it's not always an option. If you're tight on cash or you spent money on a home, you can't necessarily just pick up and leave. Yeah, your finances are tight and you've nowhere right. to go. So that was the case with the Amons family and they were on a lease, so they had you know, they had to pay a monthly rent to the to the landlord so they stayed and instead they the bet the next best thing that they could do was set up an altar in the basement which apparently was where all the energy was coming from and they set up an altar and placed a statue of mary joseph and jesus on it and opened the bible to psalm number psalm 91 and then they burnt sage throughout the house and drew crosses with the smoke and out loud read psalm 91 which starts he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty i will say to the lord my refuge and my fortress my god in whom i trust for he who will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence and it kind of goes on and it talks about evil and how god is more powerful and protective than and won't let any evil harm these people wow And so for three days after that, the house seemed to be cleared of negative energy, but the family was all on edge. Like, we're nervous, you know, it kind of is too good to be true. And it was because three days later, the family says that the demon then possessed Latoya and her three children who were seven, nine, and 12 at the time. Their eyes would start like rolling to the back of their heads and they would have evil smiles across their face. They would start speaking and different languages and curse and speak in like guttural voices. Rosa Latoya's mother claims that she was unaffected because she had a guardian angel watching over her and protecting her so that the demons couldn't touch her. 
but she witnessed all of this and is a and that's firm scary believer. that because usually in I feel like most stories it's one family member it's the daughter it's the son right. it's the dad it's whoever but all of the children all at once I know it's really scary to be able to plant that much energy in different people's bodies. Right. It must have been so strong. I know. Oh, there was, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is, okay, this is scary. So LaToya once heard her son having a conversation with someone and she didn't hear the other end of the conversation. And so she follows the sound and it's coming from the closet. And she opens the closet door and sees her son sitting kind of like crisscross applesauce facing something and having a conversation like back and forth but you can't hear the other end and she interrupts her son her son like looks at her and like kind of like broken out of a trance almost and he looks at her and says he was speaking to a boy and the boy was explaining to him what it felt like to be killed what the hell it's so terrifying and he's seven years old and then yeah ooh. And the little boy, the fact that he's just sitting there with... I know. We know now that that was not a little boy also sitting with the little boy. Oh, chills. But the fact that he would just sit there, like the living little boy would sit there and listen. I mean, I guess kids are curious, but... Right. I would have flipped out. But also as a seven-year-old kid, you might be like, this is my friend. Like, he is here. Right. But as soon as a conversation gets a little weird... I don't know. I feel like as a young kid, you might not know any better. True. And it's one of those things like death is something that a lot of people don't talk about with kids. So right. it's one of those things that's like, ooh, well, this is my, I have to listen. Mm-hmm. This is my moment to learn. Right. Yeah. So another time, the seven-year-old boy was in the bathroom and he was just in there and then the family was out in the living room and all of a sudden the boy flew out of the bathroom as if someone had thrown him. And another time, a headboard smacked the 12-year-old daughter, and it caused a wound that needed stitches. Jeez. And she, the 12-year-old daughter, later claimed that at night, it would feel like someone was choking her and holding her down so she couldn't move or speak, which sounds like sleep paralysis to me. It does sound like sleep paralysis. Which brings up a whole other conversation of what is sleep paralysis, and is it something else? Is it explainable by science and medicine? Or are there demons holding you down at night? (laughs) (laughs) At the grips of Satan. Uh, She also heard a voice that told her she would never see her family again and that she was going to die in 20 minutes. 20 minutes. That is so unfair. And I couldn't find anything else on what she did when that happened, but she's still alive. So that's good. So this is where the story kind of gets intense because... The family sought out medical attention, and people were very concerned that the children were living in an abusive situation. So, child detective service or Department of Child Services got involved, um, and they went to the family physician with the DCS agent, Mm -hmm. and um, they were talking. And all of a sudden, one of Latoya's sons started growling and speaking in a guttural voice. And she was like, cur- and the kid was cursing the doctor and the DCS agent. He, he became really aggressive and vicious. And then all of a sudden, as if something lifted him and threw him into the wall, but no one was touching him. What the shit? 
like that's so so terrifying and i can't imagine anything worse than actually being like physically yeah assaulted by a spirit right i'm also so glad that that happened in front of someone who had no connection with the family right and and this is something that happens throughout the entire story is that constantly people outside of the family who are doubting it or concerned that something else is going on within the family that it has nothing to do with spirits or demons or anything paranormal they have all witnessed it and they they immediately change their minds and are convinced that something else is going on so the the son fell to the ground he passed out and the boy was rushed to the hospital where again the staff questioned latoya and everything that was going on and they thought that latoya had been abusive of the children and because of her abuse she encouraged the children to play up the erratic behavior and play into latoya's beliefs of these possessions or exercise or uh, Mm. demonic entities um but at the hospital the children and latoya were all examined by psychiatrists and doctors who all determined that all of them were sound of mind and so a couple of people were in the room where the seven-year-old boy was in the hospital bed and the dcs agent went to speak with him And all of a sudden, the boy started growling again, showing his teeth as if, like, grinding them and gritting them together in her face. And then all of a sudden, his eyes rolled back to the back of his head. And a nurse came running in to to figure out what was going on, try to help. And the nine-year-old boy started growling and speaking in a guttural voice. And then the seven-year-old boy looks at the nurse and the DCS agent and goes, It's time to die. I will kill you. I need to kill. What? And then it keeps going. And then the other nine-year-old son starts headbutting the DCS agent over and over again. The grandma, the grandmother grabs the the nine-year-old and starts praying over him. And then, so it's like two young children speaking guttural voices, cursing, saying you're going to die, growling. And all of a sudden, the nine-year-old boy begins to climb backwards up the wall no oh my god oh. <laughs> no Ugh, this up, is worst up the ceiling and flips he flips over and lands on his feet everyone in the room was so shocked the dcs agent there was a police officer there the doctor they all ran from the room because they were so scared yeah, yeah. it's hard like my reaction i mean it's not my child so if it were my child i'd probably do anything to protect it but my reaction when something happens like that is to just be like, we'll get rid of it. <laughs> but you have to <laughs> throw it about, out. <laughs> you have to think about the poor kid who's possessed. But I like know. my initial reaction is just like, yeah, run or like attack, even though right. it's something within the the child is just the vessel. Right. And and not everyone ran. So Rosa, the grandmother, and I think some of the family members did stay in there. But the DCS agent who was there to, like, examine the family and children to see if they were in an unhealthy situation ran out because she was so frightened by what she had saw, what she had seen. And in um, Demon House, the documentary, they have a reenactment of this. And it's, like, <laughs> it's obviously fake. So, it like, it was easier to watch. But it's terrifying if if it actually happened the way that they reenacted it with the boy just starting to like walk backwards up the wall is it's terrifying hell no so the next day dcs i mean they must have been so confused and unsure what to do they decided to take the children into custody just to be safe i mean whatever it was the children 
weren't weren't in a good living condition or situation and they were worried that they were experiencing emotional and spiritual distress so they were all heartbroken latoya and her kids they didn't want to be separated obviously um and the boys had no recollection of what happened the night before um they didn't remember remember waking walking up the wall or speaking in deep voices or cursing or threatening to kill people could there be anything more terrifying to experience something like that mm-hmm. and then also be ripped away from your family at the I same know. time? It's so devastating. And it's hard. I mean, I imagine being that DCS employee who has to make this decision and it's like, I don't understand what's happening, mm-hmm. but yeah. I know, I know that they're not okay and they're not healthy, whether it's stemming from something in their familial relationship or something external, which could have been living in the house, right? Like if, if something in the house is causing them to act, to act this way, they shouldn't be living in that house. So yeah, I mean, it was a sad situation all around. And on April 20th, 2012, uh, Reverend Michael Mag- Magnot, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, received a call from the hospital chaplain asking him, Michael, to perform an exorcism on Latoya's nine-year-old son. Uh, Michael went to the home to meet with Rosa and Latoya to discuss the situation and figure out whether or not a, an exorcism was actually what what was required. Um, and while he was in the home, he was there for four hours. And as he was discussing the situation with Rosa and Latoya, he noticed the bathroom light was flickering nonstop. And he would get up to go investigate and the light would stop. It would just stop flickering and he'd go back to sit down and the second they'd start talking again it would start flickering again that's horrifying yeah and latoya started getting a headache while he was there so he placed a crucifix on her forehead and latoya started to convulse wait and latoya was the one that the mother was she the one that wasn't possessed because she had the no that's rosa that's rosa rosa the grandmother is the one with the guardian angel And so Michael left the house convinced that something spiritual and demonic was happening in the home. He blessed the home and said prayers in each room, but he told Latoya and Rosa to leave the house immediately, and it was the only way they would be safe. Uh, Shortly after that, DCS and the police came to do a living conditions check of the home, and they walked in, and they just saw crosses everywhere. It looked as if, like, someone was just trying to bless the house. Um, The Gary police captain has gone on record saying that he'd never believed in demons until being inside that home. Uh, The officer's equipment malfunctioned. There was a heaviness to the home that they had never felt before. The audio recorders malfunctioned. They picked up an EVP of someone saying, hey, they don't know what it is, but there was no one talking at the time, and you can hear someone saying, hey, which they play actually in Demon House in the documentary. Um, The police captain that night went was driving home and he stopped at a gas station and apparently his AM radio turned on and started speaking weird, like in weird languages and like saying weird things as if an EVP. Uh, he turned it off, but when he got home, he tried to open his garage and it wouldn't open. And his car seat, like the, you know how um, you can adjust your car seat manually or automatically? Mm-hmm. He had the like machine that does it. All of a sudden his car seat just started by itself moving backwards and forwards. Ooh! Yeah. Oh, and you're just sitting in there, just a little puppet. Yeah. 
So Amos and her children, I think, were separated for six months total. And during that six months, they were going through psychiatric evaluation. They were all determined sane. And all of them just continued to claim that they were possessed by demons. LaToya was given goals to achieve with her children. Most of them were to implement like positive behavior that had nothing to do with spirituality. So she was allowed uh, supervised visits with her children. So they still weren't reunited fully. And meanwhile, the DCS and police continued to investigate the home. And the police were concerned that maybe a body was buried, similar to how you felt when the flies were all there. Right. And so they there was a like a big pile of dirt underneath the stairs in the basement. So they thought maybe there was something buried there. So they dug up. A bunch of stuff but it n- there were no bodies it was like a fingernail a pair of underwear a shirt pin like really random things that had nothing to do with it, it was just like random things so it would make sense though right especially right. If there's muddy foot footprints right. it's like right. giving a sign hey i'm here find me right and that's the mystery of this whole house is that there was no real reports of anything happening in it before the amons family lived there um, except for I'll get to something later because in Demon House, I kind of address that a little bit. But yeah, there's no history of deaths in the home. It, it's very, it's mysterious of like how all these demons all of a sudden were in this home. Like what made them so powerful when the Amons lived there? Who knows? It's very complicated. And I, I, I don't think there are many answers. I think demons are very, uh, confusing creatures and we don't understand them fully. Mm-hmm. Um, so while people were investigating the home or going through it, um, multiple people felt felt faint and ill and had to leave. And everyone left the home feeling uneasy that something was in the home that shouldn't be. So Reverend Michael wrote to the bishop and asked for authorization to pre- perform an exorcism. And this bishop had never, in his 21 years as bishop, ever had to approve an exorcism except for this one time. No way. Well, yeah. that's a good thing. That's a good right. thing. Right. That is a good thing. <laughs> And I read um, there was a priest from Rome who said that he gets hundreds and hundreds of uh, possession cases like emailed to him or sent to him requests, and only yeah. or requests, exactly. And of those, only one or two are actually possession cases. Yeah, the process of, yeah. I mean, it's definitely become more difficult because they changed some things, but it's right. They go through a lot before they say, yeah. yes, this is not a mental illness. This is potentially a possession. They have to be safe because exorcisms are difficult. Oh my God. (laughs) There goes the bra. Sorry, I'm getting hot. (laughs) I can't be restricted. I need comfort. (laughs) Exorcisms are very difficult and hard on the body, as was this one on LaToya. So Michael performed a minor exorcism, which... Hi, Lay. And, um... Two police officers and the DCS case manager joined. This was a different DCS case manager than the one that was in the hospital when the kid climbed up the wall because that one decided to move states after (laughs) that. (laughs) Wouldn't Um, you, though? (laughs) uh, Yes. (laughs) Hell no, am I going to be anywhere near that house? I'm not being assigned to that case. Nope. Nope. So this DCS case manager... Felt like something was breathing down her neck the entire time LaToya was being exercised, and she left the home feeling like something followed her. And not only that, a week later, she got third-degree burn from her motorcycle, and within 30 days, 
She broke three ribs on a jet ski. She broke her hand hitting a table and she broke her ankle while running in flip-flops all within 30 days of experiencing this exorcism of LaToya. So is that a coincidence? I don't know. It was a warning. Yes. And so then Reverend Michael eventually performed three major exorcisms on LaToya, two in English and the last one in Latin. During all three, LaToya would convulse violently and LaToya claims that she doesn't really remember those exorcisms at all, but she does remember the pain. And she said it was as intense as if she were giving birth. Oh. So after the third exorcism, it is believed that LaToya was freed of all her de- demons. And nearly six months after her children were taken into DCS's custody, they were returned to live with her in her new home in Indianapolis. Um, after some research, it was believed that the demon... Beelzebub? I must be pronouncing that wrong. Beelzebub. Beelzebub. The Lord of Flies. And that multiple other demons that particularly particularly torture kids were residing in the Carolina Street home. And there have been so many EVPs recorded in the home. There are some that were caught in the movie Demon House. There are other videos on YouTube, which I watched. I was really brave last night, guys. I know. <laughs> it was like 8 p.m. too. I'm proud of myself. You were high. So. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was high on cold meds. But there have been EVPs of like multiple voices, which kind of reminds me of the spirits in Waverly Hills. We talk about them all the time, mm-hmm. how they're afraid of the creeper. So, because there are some EVPs that are picked up that are, like, scared, and then there are others that are death and to burn. They're, like, curse words and evil laughter that's picked up through EVPs. It's really terrifying, and if people want to look them up, all the power to you. Maybe take some cold meds before. Um, yeah, okay, so then what I was saying, there's... Before the Amons lived there, there was no reports of anything happening in the home, so the landlord was really confused and... This is why people thought that maybe LaToya and her family were doing this to get money. But after all of these people who had witnessed it firsthand, they were like, no, like this stuff is real. Something more powerful was in that home. And how could anyone, I'm sorry, just the fact that the first case manager who came, the social right. worker, saw the boy get chucked. Yeah. Like, there, you can't fake a fall that's believable like that. Right. I don't know why it's ever a question when stuff like that happens. I mean, I understand having to question it because you can't just say every case that you hear, yes, that's a possession. And, like, you should in- investigate it. And that's what they did. And through the investigation, they it's, I think, very clear that something dark was happening to that family. Yeah. Um, and so Zach... Baggins in Demon House actually speaks to previous tenants in the home that used to live in the home. And there was one girl who lived, or a woman who lived in the house when she was around 18. And she recalls having terrible nightmares of her brother and something happening in the basement. And she would, her nightmares would always involve her brother dying or being killed. And she told her family about this stuff and no one, like everyone was like, yeah, right. It's just a dream. It's just a nightmare. And a few months later, her brother was shot and killed. And he lived in the basement of the home. Oh, my God. So. Oh, I have chills. I know. So maybe things were going on in the house before, but no one connected it to. Right. Paranormal. Do you know how old the brother was when he died? 
I don't. I don't. I think they were all in their teen years. Oh, okay. Because it made me wonder if maybe he actually was the boy in the closet. Ooh. No, I think he was older. But, I mean, he could have been, like we've discussed, when spirits go into the afterlife, they can possibly show themselves in a, in their, I guess, in a particular form of their life. I wonder if he chose as a kid. Yeah. Happier, easier times. Yes. But, so that is the Amon's family and the demon house. And everyone who has come in contact with the home seems to have been faced with strange happenings afterwards, whether it's illness, injury, or accidents. And uh, Zach is included. So watch Demon House to find out what happened to him. That is crazy. Because everyone keeps posting about Demon House, and I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Because Zach... So this story all came out in 2014. So it all happened in 2011 and 2012, but it didn't become public until 2014. And when it became public, Zach decided to buy the house. So he bought the house, the demon house, and decided to move in and kind of do all of his paranormal investigations. Wait, he actually he moved in? So not fully. So he temp- he was living in like a hotel and then doing investigations. And he spent, I think, one full night with himself, by himself, in the home with it completely boarded up. They boarded up all the windows and all the doors with wood planks. And he spent the night by himself, which He's is just so insane. Crazy. I know. I have such a love-hate relationship with him <laughs> because, yeah. like, he's just so brave and muscular and he's Zach. But also, he just does stupid stuff and he's not the most respectful. I so I just love him and I hate him. And if you ask me on a date, I'll probably say yes. But <laughs> <laughs> Zach, are you listening? <laughs> but I'm not going to go to the demon house. No. I Well, it's actually been demolished. Oh, wow. So after his experience he decided that the house should not exist and no one else should have to deal with what happened in the home you know and people that to happen to some of these properties yeah but people were concerned that like if you demolish this where are the spirits going yeah it's kind of like getting rid of a doll in an improper way yeah are you about to trigger something yeah it's, it's a really scary case and this is on netflix uh, it's, no, you can watch it on YouTube, or you can watch it on, I think, Google Play. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I'll add it to my list, but, oh my gosh, it's gonna yeah. give me nightmares. Yes. I just feel like, I don't want to say that there's something in my house, because it very well could have been the upstairs neighbors, but right before we recorded... And two, this is probably just for my research. But right before we recorded, I set up my recording space and I put the chair down and I left the room. And as soon as I exited my bedroom, the sound of a cha- the chair being pulled back like this, that happened. Corinne, it was our ghost who's like, thank you for setting up the recording for me. I have a few things to say. He might be sitting on my lap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see him. So that's a good sign. It could have been upstairs neighbors, I'm hoping. Let's go with that. Yeah. What did you pick? (laughs) I am doing Annalise Michelle, who is the person that the exorcism of Emily Rose was based off of. Oh, my God. I've been sitting on this one for a while. I know. Annalise Michelle is one of the most well-known and most horrifying cases of possession 
yes. in history. She was the inspiration for The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is actually the only movie that I've walked out of in theaters. Because you were so scared? I was so scared. Oh? This was, I mean, I was in middle school when it came out. I think it was 2005. I've never seen it. Oh, Sabrina. I was freaking out earlier just re-watching the trailer. Oh, just watch the trailer. I know a lot about her because... I've just read a lot. Like, that's one of those cases that I've just read a lot about in the past. It's so crazy. And I could not bring myself to watch that movie. That's a that's a daytime movie for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really scary. It's really effed up. I did actually go back like a week later, bought another ticket, and I finished out the movie. I had to. Wow. But I, yeah, that's 30 impressive. minutes in when I was 12, I was like, mom, pick me up. That's terrifying. The story of Annalise is one that some believe is a clear case of a woman with mental illness being allowed to starve herself and eventually kill herself under the cover of a demonic possession. Mm. However, others believe that the possession was a clear case of the devil and a demonic spirit possessing a life. And after hearing what happened, I think you will probably wish that it it was just a misdiagnosed mental illness because the possession of Annalise Michelle is one of the most chilling and petrifying cases Ugh. ever recorded. It, yeah, okay. Ah! Annalise was born in Bavaria, West Germany on September 21st, 1952. She grew up in a small rural town brought up by her devoutly Catholic parents along with three sisters Her family would attend mass twice a week. Her father had training as a priest. Three of her aunts were nuns. And she herself had even thought about um, choosing a career path in the future that was within the religion. Right. Her mother had an illegitimate daughter four years before Annalise was born. And her mother encouraged Annalise to atone for such sins, which became a theme throughout her life. Um, She was always just like kind of talking about sins and praying for sins of others and la-di-da that reminds me of uh there's a show called the sinner have have you seen it it's with jessica biel it's really good and it it's similar like her family raises her so religiously and everything she does is a sin you always have to pray for your sins and like she can't eat chocolate because it's a sin and like it's it's really interesting well this definitely contributed in a way many people think, to what happened to Annalise. Right. Um, And, like, how intense it became. It could have been because of all of her religious upbringing. Right. As a teen, she would sleep on the stone floor to atone for the sins of the wayward priests and drug addicts. And in college, she hung pictures of saints, kept holy water near her door. She prayed to the rosary with her rosary. Um, and during her possession, she also mentioned dying for the sins of others. Wow. Wow. Okay, we'll go into, like, the start of all of it, which was at age 16. <gasps> so young. I know, she's just a babe. So when she was 16, Annalise blacked out at school, and she began walking around in a trance-like state, and she wasn't able to remember the v- event at all. But a year later, a similar thing happened, and she woke up in a trance, and she wet her bed because she said that her body started convulsing uncontrollably, and she felt like someone was holding her down. So it was kind of like 
sleep paralysis almost in a way. Yeah, common threads between our stories already. Basically, if you get sleep paralysis, you're being possessed by a demon. So she went to the doctor, and it turns out that these were seizures, and she was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy or epileptic psychosis, which is a disorder where um, the person gets seizures, they have loss of memory, there's visual and auditory hallucinations, so that can contribute to a lot of maybe what happened to her, hmm. but also maybe not, because there's so much more that's completely unexplained. Right. In 1970, she was in a psychiatric hospital, and she again suffered from a seizure, and the doctors put her on Dilantin, I think is how you say it. It's an anti-convulsion drug. Right. And it has side effects of suicidal thoughts and depression, which she definitely was exhibiting those signs. Wow. And... It was after this that she began seeing the devil's face on people passing oh, by no. her. So if her mom's sitting at like the kitchen table, all of a sudden she'll look at her mom and a demon will appear. Or if someone's driving by in a car, they'll look over to her. It's just a demon's face. That's so scary. Could you imagine every single person you passed? You're not safe anywhere because if people can just transform like that in front of you. She was horrified and didn't feel safe anywhere she went. Jeez. And the doctors then diagnosed her with schizophrenia and they put her on Olip, Olipt, hmm. another drug. So even with more medications, her condition worsened and she fell into a deeper depression. She would feel pressure on her, tre- on her chest and experience paralysis, wow. the inability to speak as well on occasion. So this does kind of group back into sleep paralysis. Right. Um. She also said that when she did wet the bread, she felt like someone was putting pressure on her bladder. Oh, my gosh. And she began to hallucinate and would pray very frequently. Voices appeared telling her to rot in hell and that she was damned. And she began to despise religion and holy places and symbols, leading to the belief that Annalise was possessed. (gasps) And by this time, she was in college and she was attending the University of Würzburg. And we talk about this a lot, how demons or dark entities feed off of mental illness and like depression and how I think they're able to like convince you that they are right and make you lose all your all sense of Mm -hmm. your morals and it also makes me wonder I mean of course we're going to get into some of the things that aren't explainable by hallucinations or side effects of drugs but it makes me wonder if maybe a demonic entity seeing as they're so smart and manipulative if they have learned to mimic the signs of mental illness as a cover. Oh. I shouldn't have spoken that out loud. What if they hadn't thought of it yet? Sorry, guys. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Demons have more knowledge. The first unofficial diagnosis happened when Annalise was on a pilgrimage to San San Damiano. San Damiano. Whoa. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) With a family friend, and this family friend regularly organized these pilgrimages and took Annalise on one. And this family friend noticed that Annalise avoided walking past a particular image of Jesus and also refused to drink the water from the Holy Spring. Hmm. And she also reported that there was a hellishly bad odor coming from Annalise and likened (gasps) it to burning fecal matter. So... That's a bad sign, because I'm assuming she showers. Or maybe right? she 
I mean, she might not because the demons are like, don't shower. That's true. But either way, that's like a, I mean, that's a very specific smell that would probably only occur if you hadn't showered for like, and if you were like not changing your underwear or like going to the bathroom in your underwear. I know. And the other thing that was kind of weird was she was able to keep a romantic relationship with a boyfriend for like two years of this. It must not have been that bad when this was all happening right. in the beginning. Or he was, maybe he was encouraging some of the stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, I couldn't quite tell from the reports if it was a college boyfriend, but I believe it was a high school boyfriend. But I think it um, got really bad when she was in college. So Right. Anyway, so the woman that brought her on the pilgrimage took her to local priests who suggested that she get an exorcism. So Annalise then sought out help from priests, but all the clergy in her area rejected her, saying that she would need permission from the bishop and that she should actually seek medical help because it seemed more like a mental illness. Her family sought out the Catholic Church as well, and the bishop finally approved their request for a potential exorcism. But just because you get approved to be looked at doesn't mean that your case will actually be accepted. Right. So she gets examined by the church, and or her case does, and the church does not believe that she meets the criteria needed to constitute an exorcism, and so wow. she was denied. So she's left to her own devices at this point and the increasing amount of prescription pills given to her by the doctors. She had a bunch of different types of anti-convulsion, schizophrenia, mood stabilizers in her system. And despite all of those pills, her condition worsened and she became extremely aggressive. Wow. She also exhibited bizarre behavior such as inflicting harm on herself. She ripped off her clothes when anyone would speak of God. (gasps) <gasps> she compulsively performed 400 squats a day. She, she crawled nice under a table and barked like a dog for two days. <gasps> what? She would eat insects like flies and spiders, and she ate coal. Ooh, this one. She bit the head off of a dead bird. She would oh scream gosh. for hours. And she would also destroy rosaries and religious paintings and crosses and other religious artifacts which is so scary because if you if you are a demon demons demonic entities should not be able to they should feel pain and be weakened by these religious artifacts right and so the power and strength of that demon to be able to grab these things and break them is on like the scariest part right and we've seen scenes like that in movies where the possessed person like laughs and grabs the cross as like a priest is trying to perform an exorcism and is like you think you can hurt me with this i'm way more powerful than you think i think it was the haunting in connecticut maybe i don't remember if it was the movie movie or the tv movie by the way the tv movie was way scarier than the real movie (laughs) But the crosses would be flipped upside down. So they'd walk into the rooms and all the crosses would be upside down hanging on the wall. Oof. So yeah, the fact that that happened was terrifying. But Annalise would also frequently pee and defecate on the floor. And she would even lick her own urine up from the floor. I mean, it's sterile, so I guess 
I can't hurt you. Don't you have to, like, boil your urine for it to be sterile? I think it's just sterile. I mean, I don't think it's healthy to drink, but... (laughs) Doctors, please email us. (laughs) Um, Other scary things happen, too. Like being similar to your story, to the demon house. Like being shoved by an unseen force and being held down on the ground by that force. Oh. People would actually like witness this and said that she would try to get up she'd often push herself onto her knees and try to pray or just try to fully stand up and before she could regain her balance she would be shoved down again (gasps) and often at such an angle that she couldn't brace her fall and she'd actually hit her face or her head so her face was just so like bruised she had broken teeth her eyes were like sunken in she had black eyes it was horrible and that makes me think that she like her her real self and soul was trying to fight through at points right and she was even coming up with ideas to try to like lessen the injuries like she would she lined her bedroom floor with all of these blankets and comforters to try to lessen the blow of her landing on the floor when she's shoved because it was happening that frequently but it reminds me of those uh they have dogs now that are trained for children with who have seizures that will go and put their bodies underneath the head of the child so that they don't injure their heads oh that's so smart yeah oh those babies those puppies i know but anyway so yeah she put all the blankets down on the floor but um it didn't help because she would be thrown to the floor and in the middle of her falling down those like one second two seconds of her fall the blanket would be ripped out from under her no yeah and there was it sounds like there are more than one forces like working together Uh there are oh my god okay there's yeah there's a bunch and a bunch of other stuff happened too like as an example um one time her hands expanded in size and turned black. So what? it's just these crazy things. And there's actually a lot of witnesses to these things, too. Wow. But finally, in 1975, she and her mother found a Catholic priest, Ernst Alt. And Alt called upon Father Renz to help evaluate Annalise. And when Renz met her, Annalise spoke in such a like deep guttural voice and the priest wanted to father Renz because it's father alton father Renz. father Renz wanted to test her to see if this was actually possession so he just said in his head he made like a mental command he asked the question or no he said something like i didn't write it down sorry he said something like i command you to come out and to like declare your name something like that basically Uh asking the demon to expose himself and annalise who was sitting across the room and remember this was all in his head this was just a thought that he had directed towards annalise annalise turned to him and said no and then she grabbed her neck and ripped her rosary off oh my gosh so Father Alt and Father Renz were like, shit, we should probably write a letter to the local bishop and say that Annalise is possessed. So they it's do that, that in mind. What? It's crazy that demons can read people's minds. It's very scary. It puts you like, how do you ever win? You're one upped all the time. All the time. Jeez. No one's safe. No. 
But anyway, so they... <laughs> Annalise <laughs> was thought? declared sort of possessed. I mean, they came at it in such a way that they still were not ruling out mental illness. I mean, they were very careful and didn't really know what they were dealing with completely. But obviously, possession was one of the things that they thought it was. So then they asked the bishop to look into Annalise's case again. And they called for an exorcism in accordance to ritual Romanium on 1614 which i didn't look it up but i'm pretty sure (laughs) that that's like the old school old school ritual for exorcisms just an intense version of an exorcism right i think which if you're dealing with ancient demons why wouldn't you just use an old ritual i think it makes sense but anyway so they asked for that ritual to happen or the bishop assigned that ritual and in September of that year, the bishop, Joseph Stengel, gave permission for Father Renz and Father Alt to perform the exorcism, but they had to do it in total secrecy. Yeah. This exorcism would later be known as the Great Exorcism. Oh. The first sessions were held in that same month, so in September when it was approved, they just went right on in didn't waste time which you shouldn't if you're being possessed right and they started on Annalise um I was under the impression of course a lot of these things especially when a case is mostly covered up especially I don't want to say when the church is involved because I myself am a confirmed Catholic but right when the church is involved in terms of documents and paperwork and an exact trail of things things get a little weird and so a lot of the sources that i read some things were saying one thing and some things said another it's interesting because i read a lot about pope francis who's our pope currently and he has a very different view on demons and satan and he thinks in the past the church has kind of written satan off as more of a allegorical thing and and he believes satan is very prominent and very real and he has kind of made the position of an exorcist more acceptable within the community and wants and encourages people to become exorcists because he's terrified of something that's so interesting because i feel like history was showing how much people were actually afraid of Right. The devil and demons. So it's interesting that he takes that that stance. But also, just as an example, so this was happening in Germany. And now in mm-hmm. Germany today, I think there's only like a few priests who practice exorcisms, but they do so in secrecy because it's just so kind of like faux pas there now, apparently. Um, yeah, I think there are only, I think, 300 to 500 or no, 500 to 600 official exorcists in the entire world. Mm hmm. Which is not that many. I'm pretty sure a lot of them live in France. Yeah, it's um, Latin America, and then I believe in some. Yeah, in your like in Europe. Which, just as a reminder, you guys, if something is happening in your house and it's not necessarily, you don't think it's like a possession of a person. <laughs> while getting a possession, while getting permission for an actual Roman Catholic priest to come yeah. perform a exorcism is very difficult 
you can still have your local priest come and bless your house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll do that. So right. you can... And, have, and you can do it when you move in just to be safe and just bless your home and have positive energy right. in the home. Yeah. And I think there are quite a few religions that come and bless mm-hmm. homes as well. So yeah. if you're not Catholic, just look into your own religion. Right. And you might find that they do that. Yeah. Um, where was I? The exorcism. The great exorcism. The great exorcism. <laughs> it's so funny because you read along when I read my, when we read emails. Uh-huh. But you don't have this, and I feel like you're still reading along with me. <laughs> you don't have my notes, but you're right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm listening. Um, okay, but what I was saying was that some of the accounts differ, but I believe... Annalise was on her medicine for like the beginning part of the exorcism sessions but Mm -hmm. then not long after her parents decided to just cut Annalise off from the doctors from that point forward so she eventually stopped taking her medicine not that the medicine was stopping her from anything she was still experiencing seizures and right seeing things and everything like that so Everyone's like, oh, she went off her meds. But I'm like, well, what was happening when she was on them? Nothing different. Nothing different. Yeah. So she was treated by the church for possession with one or two sessions happening each week. And she underwent a total of 67 exorcisms. And they would last up to four hours at a time. And it was over a 10 month span. Meanwhile, Latoya had three that's right. 67? 67. <gasps> One more than 66. Maybe that's why they needed to pass oh. that number. Wait, did you see that Satan has a Twitter account? Yes, and I followed him on our Twitter account, and it's so funny. Did you? Whoever is in charge of it is hilarious. <laughs> I don't know how they come up with that stuff. I did, yeah. It's funny. So funny. I do wonder, too, because they did 67 exorcisms, and I wonder exactly what they said in the sessions, if they were different, if it was the same the whole time. Because I know, like, back in the 1500s, the priests used to say, Vade Retro Satana, which means, go back, Satan. And I just Mm -hmm. wonder how it's developed over time. Um, Right. But actually, there's a book called The Exorcism of Annalise Michelle by Felicitas D. Goodman, which includes hmm. the transcript and photos from the exorcism. So I guess Whoa. I could just go read to that. the book and read it. I bet that is such a fascinating book to read. Uh, yeah, I believe it was actually out of print. But then when the exorcism of Emily Rose came out, all the interest re-sparked and they hmm. put out a few more copies for people to buy. I would read that. Book club. The TGIG <gasps> yeah, book club. Our next book club book. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that would be freaky. During the exorcism, Annalise wrote to Priest Alt, I am nothing. Everything about me is vanity. What should I do? I have to improve. You pray for me. She Mm -hmm. also revealed that she was possessed by the demons Lucifer, Cain, Judas Iscariot, Nero, also some random, it's Fleshman, some Mm. disgraced priest from the 16th century and then also hitler oh oh my gosh i know (laughs) 
And she claimed a few more demonic entities were with her on occasion, but those were the main ones. Oh, and just so one more thing about Hitler. Annalise would growl and she would struggle as many of the demons would compete to talk and sometimes argue with each other. And I guess Hitler was all talk and he was always like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. I'm high and mighty. But in one instance, Hitler was speaking and then Judas comes in and interrupts him and says that Hitler was nothing but a big mouth and that he has no real say down in hell. (laughs) Whoa. Which is interesting that they would argue. Is it bad that I'm shut up? Is it bad that I'm curious as to what hell looks like? Because I'm imagining Mean Girls. That's I was just thinking about that, like the cafeteria, right? (laughs) And like they, there's like the Mean Girls table, and then there are people who like try to be in and sit at the other side of the table, and they're never quite. They never wear pink. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Totally, Hitler's like um, Gretchen Wieners, and Lucifer is Regina George. We've just solved, we solved hell. <laughs> we solved the social structure of hell. <laughs> Back to Annalise. She would thrash around and her mother and others. So this is like while the sessions are happening. Again, just to bring us back to the setting. She would thrash around and her mother and other people would try to restrain her. But she was so strong and she'd fight off all of them. So they had to actually chain her down during these oh sessions. Oh gosh. Oh, poor girl. I know. She was very unpredictable. She was often violent and would hurt herself. And then at other times, she would be the complete opposite. And she would just sing and hum, often humming religious music. Just scary. Like, th- she's scary. Yeah. She was very scary. Yeah. What was happening that sounds like was scary. Well, the singing and humming sounds like a mocking devil almost. Like Yeah. It's just another example. It's like they destroy all these religious artifacts and now they're singing religious music. It's like, try your best, but I'm too strong. I'm going to mock you. Yeah. She would curse. She would speak in different languages. She would direct negative speech towards the priests. And she claimed that demons were actually running around the room during the exorcisms and like touching the priests. Oh, my god. Poking them and touching them and basically mocking them again but only she could see them there was one point where another priest came and had two bottles of water one that was just a regular bottle of water and the other one had holy water he's so he started to open them to see if she could tell i believe they were behind his back too so she couldn't see anything and he opened both bottles to see if she would be able to tell so then she jumps out of where she was sitting and she lunges at him and she knocks the holy water up into the air and then the bottle just stops midair (gasps) and gently slowly floats to the ground oh my gosh which is the scariest and it's like the biggest fuck you you know yeah like, here, I'll give you your water back. Oh, my God. I have chills. And she, so she had this ability to manipulate objects. I shouldn't, I hate saying, like, she, because it was the, the, it was. It was the possession. It was right. the entities within her. So the entities within her would enable her to manipulate objects. Yeah. Even religious relics. Um, and she would actually often move furniture around the room telekinetically did i say that right telekinetically yeah telekinesis telekinetically yeah okay yeah i think so 
She would so she would move the furniture around with her mind while the priests were performing the exorcism. And she even knocked a cup of water over at one point and the cup landed on its side, but all of the water stayed in the cup. Oh my gosh. So she just did all these displays to show her power and distract everyone. The Mean Girls talent show. Literally. Um, Annalise, because let's remember, yes, she was possessed by many, many demons, but Annalise is still in there somewhere and right? she was hoping to be freed. Mm-hmm. So she prayed so much that the bones in her knees broke and her <gasps> tendons ripped. Oh my God. But that didn't stop her. In fact, she reportedly laughed. And even with broken knees, she continued to bend down and kneel and pray. And she but would fall makes to her th- knees like that. That makes me think that demons are making her do that. Right. Yeah. Because And it's such a manipulation, too, because it's that's what you're supposed right. to be doing. You should be praying. You should be doing all these things. And I'm sure her parents were encouraging her, too. But right. the fact that she laughed when th- her knees broke. But also it makes oh. me wonder, were, were the spirits... Are the were the demonic entities making her do this, or did they make her laugh as like a ha ha ha? Like you can try, but you can you'll just keep hurting yourself. Sort of. I don't know. Or yeah, I'm, I just like, but to c- make her continually do it, I think I don't know if if you or I broke our knees, we would pray laying in bed. You know, like. She it's did that motion, like, that motion of just falling to her knees and praying yeah. 600 times a day. Oh my God. 600 times during each exorcism session, no. sorry. So the sessions would last up to four hours. So that's 600 times of just uh, going down to your knees. Uh, that's a lot. Oh my gosh, that's so... That but hurts my body. Ripped tendons and broken knees. This poor girl. Oh, that poor patella. She was so weak by the end that during her last session, her parents actually had to carry her through the motions of going down onto her knees. She slowly stopped eating because she thought that it would rid her of demonic influences. She would stop feeding. Because there was no nourishment to them? Yes. It's just this whole thing is so hard to understand if it's what decisions were made by her and what decisions were made by these entities like did they want her to die because that's another soul that they can they can bring down to hell with them you know it's yeah it's just if she's so heavily possessed how much control does she actually have and it's interesting too because so what you just brought up like bringing another soul down to hell so one thing that happened to her during this time is that she had a dream that she was visited by mother mary and mary asked her if she's willing to pay penance for the sins of all the souls heading to hell basically saying hey there are shit ton of people heading to hell but can you like take one for the team anyway and pay for their sins which is odd that like mary would ask that right right and what's the point of a demon sending you to hell if mary is already like hey can you do this for everyone else but or it, are these demons so powerful that they can mimic Mary? Interesting. It could, right? Because so, Mary because said her that herself. Because her her soul would 
because she was always constantly praying for other people's sins, she would say yes. True. And the demons are like, right. And that was a theme throughout her life of always saying, praying for others and trying to pay for their sins. Right. Yeah. Um, So Mary in a dream then gave her three days to sit on it, think about it and promised her that in those three days, there would be peace. And apparently that's exactly what happened. And Annalise was just fine and happy during that period. Wasn't hit, wasn't anything. And at first I was like, okay, well, Mary, if you have that sort of power to do that, why won't you just help Annalise for more than three days? But now your theory almost makes more sense because it's the demons being like, we promise we won't touch you for three days. Right. There's less of a battle and more of just a restraint because how can Mary just come and be like, you guys, you can't do this for three days. For three days. You have to listen. Oh, it's so scary. Right. And during the last session, the priest was... Oh, and then also, just... Sorry, I'm, my brain is all over the place. Let's remember, okay, so she stopped eating, and she was so weak that she could hardly even sit and bring herself around for, like, those last right. two months or three months, however long. Sorry. I'm making it sound like you can survive without eating. Or, right. You know what I'm trying to say. You I know can't, You saying. have to eat. You can't survive for three months without eating Food. something you yeah. can't stare at the sun that's not a real diet but anyway so she was so weak and famished and yet she had so she could hardly bring herself around but she had the strength when the like demons summoned the strength of many many men enough so that she had to be chained down during certain parts of the exorcism and yet she could hardly stand up herself wow so it's just so weird and there's so much going on but during the last session the priest was casting out the demons who refused to leave they said that they wouldn't but then the priest noticed that they appeared weaker and so together the priests worked on casting out the demons they told them that once that once they were cast out that they would have to say the first line of the hail mary prayer so hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee they said that that they would have to say it as like proof that they're leaving And when the priests said this, Annalise let out an inhuman and disturbing (gasps) scream. And within the sound of the scream, there was also sounds of sneers, laughter, (gasps) echoes, babble, and other voices' screams. And the priests then tell the demons that Mary is on her way, and they start singing a hymn to welcome her. The demons then scream together out of Annalise's body saying she is coming (gasps) and the screams include laughter as well and then the demons say that they want to leave but that they're not allowed and some people had speculated that um the reason that they weren't allowed is because she had already kind of like accepted from Mary that proposal or from the demons that proposal of giving herself over right because that's the whole battle of possession is is demons are trying to gain your soul. So mm-hmm. if you if you give it over to them and willingly give it to them, then they have it. Never, yeah, Illuminati man. We had an Illuminati Illuminati member follow us on Instagram. Do you remember that in the beginning? Oh yeah, they said some weird stuff about us joining. This whole Instagram was just piles of cash. <laughs> I blocked him though. I think we blocked him because we were scared. Yeah. <laughs> We don't want that shit. Hell no. 
I've got the Lord and light on my side. Praise <laughs> Jesus. I forgot to salt my recording space. God damn it. Ugh. Um, okay. Anna, so this is the final exorcism session. And they believe that the demons are close to coming out. And Annalise turns to the priests. And she oh, told no. them to beg for absolution. And then she turns to her mother, saying her final words, which oh. were, Mother, I'm afraid. <gasps> oh, upsetting. That night, on July 1st, 1976, weighing only 68 pounds, Holy. she passed away. At the time of her death, she had pneumonia and two broken knees. And the autopsy report stated that the cause of death was malnutrition and dehydration. Oh, my gosh. So, of course, since the autopsy report came back that she was starved to death, an investigation began to look into her death. And the prosecutor said that the death was preventable and said that if the priest or her parents had force fed her in the past, in the last like few weeks, that even in the last week, she would have survived. But how much can you force feed someone? I mean, you could have. It's just such a hard thing because. Right. Obviously, you want to admit someone into the hospital, but they thought they were dealing with a possession, you know? Right. And there was a lot of signs that pointed to both possession and mental illness. So it's Ugh. just a sticky situation. It's just so, yeah. The whole thing is difficult. Right. Uh, some people at the time argued that Annalise had fabricated the entire thing and gained inspiration from the movie The Exorcist, which had been released in theaters just a year or two before. And that mm-hmm. movie had triggered many false claims of possession at the time. So, yeah, because the 1970s and 1980s were the time of satanic panic. Right. And there were tons of books coming out. Like, there's one I think called Michelle Remembers. And it was all these people coming out about like repressed memory of being part of satanic cults as children and like being forced to do things. And all of those ended up being false. Like they were all proven wrong. Jeez. Her exorcism treatments were recorded and the hours of audio from 43 of the sessions were used in the case. And during the trial, the doctors stated that they believed the possession was a result of her religious upbringing and that she was, in fact, mentally ill. And the defense claimed that the exorcism was legal and protected by German constitution. And they also played the tapes to show the demonic voices coming out of Annalise as evidence, saying, like, this is not her voice. How can someone have eight voices? Right. And in 1976, the trial ended and the priests... Alt, Father Alt and Father Renz were charged with criminally negligent homicide and sentenced to six oh month, months in jail with three years probation. But it actually just dropped down to probation, so they didn't have to do jail time. Wow. And then in terms of her parents, I got conflicting reports. I got half of the sites that I was looking at and videos were saying that they too were charged with criminally negligent homicide. And then the other reports said that they had, quote, suffered enough and so that they weren't, mm. they were excluded from the charges. It's so tough. I know. Annalise's mother was quoted saying, Annalise was a kind, loving, sweet, and obedient girl. But when she was possessed, it was something unnatural, something that you cannot explain. 
Wow. And this trial was very notable because it happened in the 70s, which was a time kind of like what you were saying, the satanic panic. But also it was a mm-hmm. time when science and religion were at battle with all the advancements in science and medicine at this time. And there was a lot of pressure on religion and on priests, priests right. from both sides with like the law and science pushing them towards directing people to get treatment. And then also Mm -hmm. the church pushing them to conduct exorcisms still, but to be extremely selective and to understand the difference between a possession and a mental illness. So it was a really difficult situation because, I mean, here's Annalise, who was only getting worse with medical treatment, and she had a variety of different medicines. So it seems like it'd be a case for the church to take on with some confidence but in the end, the right. priests were tried and convicted of negligent homicide. So it was a really sticky, awful time. And a couple of years wow. later, actually, a nun had called Annalise's parents saying that she had a vision of Annalise's body <gasps> in the ground and that her body hadn't decayed, which was like a sign no. of supernatural phenomena. Yeah. Basically, as a way to prove that the priests and the parents were not guilty. Um, and so her parents had asked, they requested that her body be exhumed under the guise of wanting to bury her in a more expensive casket. The official report of that exhumation says that she had decayed at a normal rate, but there were also no photos released and the parents and the priests were not allowed to see the body, which is suspect. Interesting. Because why? I wonder what the protocol is. Like, I own the body. I'm the parent. Why can't I see my kid's body? I wonder if there's protocol though. Like, if you like in exhuming a body, like, is there protocol of what you do and what you can tell people? I don't know. I don't know either. Since this trial, there has been a dramatic decrease in the number of exorcisms performed in Germany. The church stated that in the case of Annalise, she was not possessed, but instead she was mentally ill. But, like, do we trust the church? Because they say a lot of things when they're in the line of fire. They say whatever gets them out of the newspapers. Well, this is why I'm wondering when I said earlier that the church in the past had... Begin, uh, been discussing Satan more allegorically. I wonder if this case is what changed that and made them more cautious around discussing Satan. Right. Well, 20, until 20 some years later, uh, Pope John Paul II actually amended the rules regarding exorcisms. Hmm. So he made a change and then he changed it so that exorcisms could only be performed in very, very rare cases. And then also. Right like what was what is said the script for exorcisms has changed as well in a way that i don't believe they mention uh like i don't think they call out to the demons or mention god i can't remember exactly what it is but the terminology that they use has changed a bit so that they don't use words that can convince someone that they are in fact possessed if they're not interesting yeah huh they don't want to coerce anyone yeah, into right. thinking they are. So, yeah, so that changed. And then the church has also begun to work alongside doctors during possession cases. And they mm-hmm. acknowledged that some cases may be mental illness. 
Um, and most recently, psychiatrists have said that looking back on Annalise's case, that she most likely had dissociative identity order, DID, which is if you saw the movie Split, that's what the character yeah. had. It's like multiple personality disorder. Right. But yeah. I don't know. I think she was possessed. And in 2005, the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose came out. And then also there was another film released, I believe, in Germany in 2006 called Requiem. It is not Requiem that's on Netflix. That's oh, I was going to say. That's not yeah. the same. This one apparently follows the, quote, true story more closely, but I haven't seen it. Hmm. But that's the story of the real Emily Rose named Annalise Michelle. Wow. Wow. Ugh, possessions are so scary. It's pretty heavy stuff. It's terrifying because it, it's also, it's such a terrifying thing because you hear these things and you're horrified that it would happen to you or someone you know. It's such like a scary movie thing. But then right. at the same time, it it seems removed enough that it's almost like, wow, like a campfire tale, you know? Yeah. There was actually, I read, there's a priest who performs exorcisms in Rome who verified most of the accounts in the movie The Exorcism and says that the movie was pretty spot on to what most exorcisms are like, except for real life is scarier. Well, I'm and, sure. Right. And then I just did, okay, because I was on my cold meds, I was like reading into all these like crazy articles and stuff. And I found one about Pope Francis talking about demons and how um, he thinks that people today are fooled by the hidden face of Satan in the modern world. And then he like constantly warns people to look, be on the lookout because the devil is present. And he thinks that because of modern technology and the internet, that the spread of satanic cults and people who are tempted by the devil is increased. And then I started going down this wormhole of like, maybe the Pope knows something that we don't know. And he's preparing us for, <laughs> I know this is so crazy. <laughs> oh my God. I hope not. But, like, it made me think of uh, the Black Tapes podcast and how there's something, like, you know, they're talking about this, like, big thing that's culminating in the universe. Right, and you don't even realize that you're putting the puzzle pieces together until it's too late. Right. And the universe is way too clever for coincidence. So maybe there's a correlation to the Pope being so scared of of the devil and us talking about ghosts so often on this podcast yeah, I went down a wormhole, but, like, yeah. what if? Well, guys, some of you guys have stories as well. Yes. Not everybody a has lot. a movie made about them. It's crazy how many emails. We had a difficult time choosing an email to read because there were so many. I think, should we just read one because it's already, we've... So, we'll read one now because we don't have a ton of time. And we'll read more in Encounters episodes that are coming up. Sounds like a plan. Do you want to read it? Or do you want me to? Do you want to split it? Is it long enough to split? We can. I think it's long enough. Okay. This is from Brianna, and the subject is, I couldn't make this up if I tried. Hi, ladies. This is a long one, so I understand if you don't share it, but I swear to God it's all true, and I still don't like talking about it, but it's by far the scariest story I've ever heard or had the misfortune of being involved in. In the spring of 2014, I bought a cute little red house in Wrightstown, Wisconsin. I lived there alone with my then six-year-old son. My bedroom was on the first floor, and my son's and a spare bedroom were on the second floor. The staircase entrance was in the kitchen, and the staircase was to the right of a door that led to the half-basement type of space. 
maybe five feet by five feet and with a ceiling that I would guess was five feet tall. From the time we moved in, I never cared for the second floor or the half basement. I always felt like that there was just something very off about both spaces. For that reason, I avoided entering them at all costs and I never went upstairs when my son wasn't home. That's scary that her son was living up there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On weekends when my son was at his dad's place, I'd hear such violent running around in the spare bedroom above my bedroom that the chandelier in my bedroom would shake and rattle rigorously. My only solution was to buy earplugs, turn on a fan at night for some white noise, and tough it out. About a year later, my son started telling me that there were a woman and two kids in his room who kept him awake at night. This was all I needed to suck up my pride and convince my then-boyfriend to move in with his daughter because I was so scared to continue living alone with just my son. After a few months of them living with us, my boyfriend's daughter wasn't feeling well and was lying on the couch in the spare bedroom above my bedroom. When I went up to check on her, she was curled up in a ball on one side of the couch, looking irritated and scared. I asked her what was wrong, and she pointed her toe to the other side of the couch and said, That little girl, the one who lives on the couch, she won't leave me alone. Oh, no. I told my boyfriend about it, and he dismissed it as simply being a child's imagination. But I thought, bullshit. One of the nights that followed the incident, my son came running into my bedroom in the middle of the night. He was hysterical. He said he came downstairs to get a drink of water from the kitchen, which was at the bottom of the stairs, and there was a wolf with red eyes staring at him from the corner of the kitchen. I let him sleep on my floor that night as there was no way I was going to walk him back up to his room or force him to have to sleep alone. At about the same time, my son and boyfriend's daughter both started getting really irritable, crabby, defiant, and borderline violent. I even had to admit my son to a behavioral mental hospital for about a week when he became horribly hateful towards me and told me he hoped I would die. And he even went so far as to threaten my life. When we came home from the hospital, his irritability continued, but he knew better than to threaten me at least. My boyfriend's daughter would cry constantly and began hitting us and thrashing about when it was time for bed at night. Now, it's important for you to know that these kids weren't acting out as a result of general home life complications. My boyfriend and I got along great, provided a loving, stable home for the kids, and made sure to spend time each night doing something all together. However, despite my skeptic boyfriend's insistence, I knew the kids' behaviors were unnatural and something was definitely wrong. Do you want to continue? Sure. I finally called my mom and had her get me in touch with a pastor who performed an exorcism on her house when I was 10 years old. Jeez. He came to pray over the house, prayed in all of our rooms on the first floor, but didn't necessarily go into the small, low-ceiling half-basement right off the kitchen or the crawl space underneath the kitchen. Instead, he told me that the demons tend to live in the dark, damp places, and with his Bible in his hand, lifted one hand to generally pray over the areas. I felt like this probably wouldn't be enough and that he would maybe need to enter those spaces to pray over them thoroughly, but he insisted it was enough. Sounds like he was scared. Yeah. He was the expert, not me, so I accepted it. The pastor then led us up the stairs with my two sisters behind him and then me, my boyfriend, and my dad behind. Suddenly, near the top of the stairs, the pastor turned to my sisters and asked, asked suspiciously, How is your faith? They both replied that their faith was strong and that they were believers. I found out later that night before the pastor had asked them about their faith that they felt something cold and eerie rush past them down the stairs. I imagine the pastor sensed something was there as well. I, however, didn't sense anything. 
I was already incredibly uneasy and hoping this worked. We finished praying throughout the second floor, and then the pastor left, letting me know to call him if anything happened. He said that the spirits, spirit or spirits, would try to come back and that we should pray daily to keep our defenses and faith strong. He said that any weaknesses would invite the entity or the entities back in. All the while, my boyfriend was incredibly doubtful that this would amount to anything because he didn't believe the house had any issues in the first place. How wrong he was. Oh my gosh. We didn't have any incidents for a while. And the kids' moods even turned back to their usual selves. Silly and sassy, but no longer irritable and emotional. In the next few months, I dumped my skeptical loser boyfriend for (laughs) unrelated reasons and decided to put my creepy house up for sale in November of 2015. The day I accepted an offer on the house in December, my son, same scenario, coming down the stairs for a drink, came bustling into my room, bawling that there was a sheep with red eyes in the kitchen. First a wolf and then a sheep. Hmm. The next Hmm. day we began packing everything up. I'd had enough. And here's where my oh hell no internal alarms went off. (laughs) Remember the tiny low ceiling eerie basement I mentioned earlier? I sent my son down there. (laughs) I sent my son down there to clean the cat litter one evening while I took the trash out to the garage. While outside, I heard him yelling for me, not in a frantic way, but perhaps slightly concerned. I nonchalantly walked back up to the house, stood in the doorway to the small basement, and asked, What's up, buddy? He looked up at me with huge eyes and said, Something told me, kill your mom. (gasps) But I don't want to. Oh? Every muscle... Oh, my God. Oh. Every muscle in my body froze, and I suddenly felt icy cold i asked him to repeat it hoping i misunderstood and sure as shit something audibly and hoarsely from behind his right ear in a man's voice told him to kill me with shaking hands i called my sister and told her what happened her only response was get out of there now i beckoned for my son to come to me from where he was in the basement and i hugged him tight and thanked him for being smarter than whatever it was that had told him to kill me Anyway, I threw my son and my cat in the car and hauled ass to my parents' house an hour and a half away. I called the pastor the next day and told him about what had happened, and he said that sometimes demons can lay dormant, and whatever it was probably was hiding in the dark, cold, damp basement or the dank crawl space and wasn't happy that we were leaving. Chills. I only went back to that house once by myself. I absolutely had to get a couple things. While inside, hurriedly grabbing some clothing from the laundry room next to the kitchen, I heard something roll off the kitchen counter and land on the floor. It sounded like a screw or something. I noped pretty hard, grabbed whatever I could, and I got out of there. I went to the Historical Society in Wrightstown a couple days after to try to figure out what I could about the house, but no luck. They had nothing, except that the house was built in 1900. No names of previous owners, no incidents on the property, absolutely nothing on record. I often feel guilty when I think about the people that I sold the house to. Hopefully they're having better luck than we did in that place. Anyway, have a good one, Brianna. Oh, it's terrifying. I am so glad she got out of there. Oh my god, and just her port, her son saw so much so much i worry about i also worry about the new tenants 
Yeah. I hope they don't have any children. But more likely than not, they probably do because if a house is set up with so many bedrooms, it's meant for a family home. And the two, and when his, her boyfriend's, well, ex-boyfriend's kid moved in, the fact that both kids became really irritable. Right. I mean, you could think it's, yeah. And the little girl saw something too. Yeah, the the little girl that lives on the couch. I'm just picturing her son down in that basement being told that and just I can like because I've called out for my mom in scenarios like that too before not no one's told me to kill my parents right but where you see something and you're just so frozen with fear that you're like I have to act calm and you're like mom mom yeah yep I've been in that position too and this is why I'm terrified of the basement another reason to be afraid of the basement yeah I don't like the basement either and my parents have a fully finished like it's nice, it's and I don't creepy. go down there at all. Ugh. I, it's just so scary that they could be anywhere. Right. And it's interesting, too. It, it almost makes me back to your first story when you were like, well, none of the other homeowners really had any intense experiences, experiences right. except for that one girl who reported on having weird feelings in the demon house. But just and dreams, yeah. The fact that a demon can lay dormant and they're not alive. They could probably right. lay dormant for like 150 years. They can Sanderson sister this shit. Yes. And they're some of them are ancient and have been around for so long. And they know how to be patient. They know. That's the thing. They're so conniving. They just they know how to play the game. Terrifying. Oh. I hope no one has to experience anything like that again. I know. But I'm so glad that she just like noped out of there, you know? Yes. She got out. She was like, none of this shit. I'm out of here. Me and my son are going. We're moving out and never looking back. If you have a relative within a three hour drive, I think just do it. Just say, I'm so sorry. This is an inconvenience to you. But what's more of an inconvenience is me being possessed so you choose house me yeah, for a few months possession is pretty inconvenient ain't nobody got time for that well guys well <laughs> uh yeah if you're still here <laughs> <laughs> don't get possessed but if you do email us and let us know about it but don't go looking for possession right stay safe don't go Just chasing try. demons uh, yeah, but email us your ghost stories at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. We have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have a Facebook mm-hmm. page that you can like and a Facebook group that's private that you can join and share all of your weird, terrifying, yep. or funny ghostly related things. We love memes. We love some of the black cat. There was a black cat thread today. I loved it. Just some good stuff, you guys. Rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. Yeah. Tell your friends about us. Tell your coworkers about us. Tell everyone. Yes. Tell that shadow in your closet. No, just kidding. Wait, I take it back. <laughs> and uh, we will see you on, on the, the other, other side. side. Hopefully not in hell. <laughs>